I invite you to turn in your scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, I want to invite you to take one uh, right in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, I'd like that Bible that's in front of you to be your gift. You feel free to take that home with you as our gift and continue reading. But today, if you will turn to uh, John chapter 1, that's page 723 in the Bible right in front of you. And however you get your Bible, whether it's on an electronic device or right there in the Pew Bible, turn to John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. Uh, if you're new with us, we do read a lot of Scripture in our services. We join with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, reading the same passages together and hearing what God has to say as we join in unity together around these wonderful ancient sacred texts. And so I invite you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Ian, I'll have you do the scripture and then I'll take over after that. So John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the written word of God. May the Holy Spirit use us, use it to lead us to the living Word of God, who is Jesus. Amen. Well, I'll never forget the night that I was invited to play indoor soccer at Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene. Uh, everybody out there calls it Paznaz. Uh, it's a huge campus. The sanctuary is uh, very large and kind of round. Uh, and the lobby goes all the way around. So kind of like our lobbies here, and it would just continue all the way around the whole church, all the way. And the out exterior wall is glass. And then there's the inner wall that's solid, and there are doors that go into the sanctuary in there. Well, we were in the gym, and uh, I was amazed that I was asked. I never play soccer, so I was amazed just to be invited to be on a team at all. Um, they figured that out pretty soon, and I spent the, at least the second game, most of it, on the bench. But after we had played the games, uh, we were heading back to our car and I, being new, had parked on the wrong side of the building and kind of wandered my way down to the gym. So we were walking on our way back, a friend of mine and I, and we, were, we decided to cut through the sanctuary. 
And so we were walking through this hall, and it was dark uh, outside, but it was okay because the parking lot lights were on. And the exterior walls are glass, so it was giving us plenty of light. We were walking our way around the sanctuary to get to the door where I had parked. And uh, all of a sudden, it must have been very late, but the timer on the parking lot lights went off. And it was very dark. And so for a minute, you pause and you stop and you wonder what's going on. But being 20 years, 20-something years old, full of confidence, I just thought, oh, no problem. I'll just put my hand on the inside wall, that solid wall, and I'll just walk my way around. I'll just feel my way around and I'll get to, and when I get to the right door, I'll know which one to go out and I'll just find my way out. Well, that was all fine and good, except that around the bend... Somebody had propped open one of the sanctuary doors all the way out. And so as my head connected with the corner of the door, hard enough to slam that door shut, I realized a painful truth was emerging along with a bump and a gash on my forehead. And that truth is this, that when you are in the dark, Feeling will only get you so far. What you really need is light to see. And so this week, it's no surprise then that we are talking about Jesus as light. That He is the light of the world. That He is light. Right before this passage, in fact, we read uh, John's very poetic description. It goes like this. This is, this is John 1, 4. It's right before we started reading. John says, In Him, Jesus, was life. And that light was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John wanted us to know that as we approach Christmas, we are celebrating God sending light into a world that's stuck in a dark hallway, trying to feel its way out. Now, of course, this light, which is the life in Jesus, helps us see a few things. Are you ready for these few things? First of all, the light helps us to see God clearly. Now, this is going to be the, the little scholarly part of the sermon. So are you ready? So wake yourself up. It's going to be important. It's the foundation on which the maybe lighter parts of the sermon are based. So lean in, get ready, get your, get ready to take notes. Or I know some of you take snapshots of the, of the screen so that you can not have to take notes, uh, and look at it later. But here we go. Here's the scholarly portion. Uh, Christmas, I want you to know, is so much more than just celebrating the birthday of Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with selling, celebrating the birthday of Jesus. In fact, when you pick up your kids today, that's what they're doing right now. I mean, birthday cake for Jesus, all right? But it is so much more than just celebrating the birth of Jesus. There is a deeper meaning that is here. I mean, you know this, right? We are actually celebrating the incarnation. Big theological word, okay? It's not the instant breakfast drink. Thank you. Some of you got that one. The incarnation. I want to break this word down for us just a little bit. All right. It is in. En carne is the Latin word. En equals in. Carne equals meat, which makes me think of carne asada, 
which makes me hungry and makes me know that I need to finish this sermon right before lunch, all right? Incarnation is God with meat on. I know that sounds strange. We always say God in flesh. We clean it up. But it's God with meat. God in the physical form. And John says that in Him, Jesus was the divine life. The fullness of God. In the physical body. I want you to get this. In the physical body, the word there is sarks. In the flesh of Jesus was the zoe. The divine life of God. The fullness of God. In the physical body, it was there. God and flesh together, neither opposed to the other. Now, here's the big statement with this. Are you ready? This reality of God and flesh together, neither one denying the other, this neither one opposed to the other, this reality is the light that John is talking about, that John is witnessing to. This incarnation... This joining together of these two things. This is the reality. This is the light. The reality that God is not opposed to nor at war with human beings, but is in fact with them and in and through all things. Now, I want to repeat that for you. I think you need to hear that. The reality is that God is not opposed to nor at war with human beings, but in fact is with them in and through all things. Can I get an amen? That is the joy of Christmas. That is the hope of Christmas. That is what we are celebrating today. Do you need to hear that again? God is not at war with you. God is not upset with you. God is not some angry, grumpy, old white man with a long beard up in heaven criticizing you and sending insults from heaven, gleefully waiting to judge you at the end of all time. Nor has God abandoned you or left you in the dark hallways of life. This was and still is a very radical concept. I don't know if you understand this or not. In the ancient times, we have to go back even before the Bible was written down. In the ancient, ancient days, when gods showed up, gods, little g, gods, when they showed up, it was not a good thing. They were always tricking human beings who they viewed as slaves or toys They had to be appeased. They had to be sacrificed to in order to be manipulated to just either leave me alone or 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 do the right thing for me. In fact, in fact, some faiths of that day, they felt like they had to give their own children, sacrifice them to these gods to get them to leave them alone or to do the right thing for them. So when gods showed up, it wasn't a good thing in the ancient days. Now, the scriptures come along, this man named Abraham and Yahweh. The God shown to us in the Hebrew Scriptures, the one that Jesus called Father, goes a long way to begin to curb this understanding. Yahweh provides a ram for Abraham instead of having him sacrifice his son Isaac. Yahweh delivers a bunch of slaves who have nothing to give to him, and he delivers them from their long-time slavery in Egypt. God gives them provisions in the desert for 40 years until they're willing to trust that He is the one who will give them the long-promised land that He had promised to them way, way, way back. Now, if we know the story at all, you know that they got it wrong a lot. They got it really, really wrong a lot. And yes, God appears angry. We even see that in that passage that Steve so beautifully read in Isaiah about you know the, how God feels about robbing and thieves and you know, all those kinds of things and what they were doing. But... Um, But he always comes back around. 
There's always love that is driving him. The Hebrew word there is the word chesed, which is God's ever faithful covenant love. Now, Jesus, in Jesus, we see this idea that, that's developed all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. We see this taken to one step further. We see that God and flesh are now joined without either one being diminished. Are, are you leaning in with me? I know this. we're almost to the end of the scholarly part, right? Without either one being diminished, these are joined together. This is what we mean when at Christmas time we say that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. They can be together. They can be joined. They can be entwined. They can be enveloped. They can be embraced. And when this happens, when you see God's life lived out in human experience, it becomes the light that gets you out of the dark hallways. Now you have a hope that God is with you in the darkness, whatever the darkness may be. This is the joy. This is the beauty. This is the hope of incarnation that we celebrate and we long for during Advent and we celebrate during the Christmas season. I don't know how, in light of Jesus' ministry, we ever got the angry picture of God. Well, actually I do. We let Zeus and Jupiter stand in for God when we got too involved in power politics and trying to govern the Roman Empire. We we made a nasty flip. But this is not who we are waiting for at Advent. Are you ready to hear this? When we are scared in the dark hallway, we don't need an even scarier God shaming us for being in the dark. We need light to help us find our way out. And the God that we serve, that we see in Jesus, is the God who comes humbly to each and every one of us, as lowly and humbly as a newborn child, longing to give us this life that lights up all dark hallways, God patiently calling us to receive this beautiful, illuminating life as our life. We can receive this life that Jesus shows us into our flesh and blood experience. And no darkness can overcome it. None at all. Not even a little bit. That's good news. Now, the light goes on. It shows us some other things. It helps us to see our agendas clearly. All right? The story in the second half of our reading that we read, where these people come out and are giving John a lot of questions shows us what happens when we don't wait for the light and we try to feel our way out in the dark. When we don't wait for the light and we try to get out by ourselves. You see, John was out baptizing people and the story tells us that the priests and Levites, these temple helpers, came out and wanted to know who John was. So first, they ask him one question. They ask him, are you the Messiah? Now, I want you to translate that, if you're not familiar with the term Messiah, I want you to translate that as the national agenda. Translate it as a national savior who will deliver us from these foreigners. In essence, Rome. The Romans were there, you know this, all these kinds of things. So when they were asking him, are you the Messiah? They were asking him, are you the national savior who will deliver us from these foreigners? And John says unequivocally, I am not the Messiah. I'm not your national leader. I'm not playing into your national agenda. So they go on. They ask him, then, are you Elijah? Now, if you don't know the story of Elijah, I can't take the whole time to unpack that here. But really, Elijah was a prophet who uh, 
really spoke the words of the Lord against some really wicked kings. And so what this is really translated as as is the leadership agenda. If we only had the right leader, are you here to get rid of King Herod? Because Herod was a bad leader. He was doing all things outside the book. It wasn't a good agenda. He was even appointing priests. And that was supposed to be something that was handed down through the families as you trained your own children to take over for you later on in life. And he was doing everything wrong. And so they wanted to know, Are you here to get rid of Herod and put a good king in so that we can get rid of these Romans and and all these kinds of things? John again says, no, I'm not here to clean up your leadership issues. Last question, he says, then are you the prophet? It's a very vague term, the prophet. In fact, I spent a lot of time looking at what do they mean by the prophet? Who, who is this prophet? Well, there is a, there is a scripture in Deuteronomy that leads most scholars to believe that they were talking about Moses who everyone would say was the best prophet, the, gra- the greatest prophet. He was the one who gave the law. And so they are looking at this, this lawgiver. Are you a new lawgiver? Are you going to be the one who would command us to follow the rules again and bring back the old moral code to be lived out among the people? It's really the behavior agenda. Are you here to teach us how to behave? Bring us back to the old ways again. But John again says, I'm not the prophet. No. I'm not here to change your behavior. I'm not here to announce, I'm not here to take care of your leadership problem. I'm not here for your national agenda. So they go on and they, of course, want to say, well, then who are you? You see, these agendas of people uh, that they have, these three that we've looked at, are agendas of people who will not wait for the true life. They're often driven by national agendas to get the country where it should be by focusing on the right leader or replacing bad leaders and making sure we are all living up to the standard. It's an agenda that, listen to this, subtly says we're all alone in this and we must take everything into our own hands. We have to feel our way out of this darkness. But when the light of incarnation, God with us in human experience shows up We see these agendas as the road to something much worse than a bump on the head. I mean, can you imagine this? If in that hallway where I was walking so long ago, uh, the right before, the instant before my head made contact with the door. Can you imagine if we could have frozen time just like that, turn the lights on? All of us would have been saying, what is that guy doing? That agenda is going to get him hurt. What John is saying is that the light that is coming is just like doing that. It shows, it exposes these agendas, national or leadership or behavioral. That It says these are attempts of people who are trying to just feel their own way out. They've given up on God ever sending light. They're going to do it themselves. They're all alone and it's heading. It just shows that when we do that, we head for something much worse than just a bump on the head. And so we have to see these agendas for what they are. And it's what John says. He says that these agendas are not worthy to untie the sandals of the light that is coming into the world. Wow. I don't know about you, but that hits pretty close to home. Because sometimes I can still try to feel my way out of the dark. Instead of waiting for the light that John tells us, assures us, is coming. One last thing. This light helps us see ourselves, though. 
We often think that John's statement, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, is about John talking about his own worthiness. You know, like, what a terrible wretch worm I am. You know, all those kinds of things. That's not what John is saying here. John is saying to the priests and to these Levites who have come, you're trying to squeeze me into your agendas, and your agendas are not worthy to untie the sandals of what Jesus is going to do in the world. He says, in fact, you've so missed the point, you don't even know that he's standing here among you. Wow. That's an indictment. What an indictment. Really, he was speaking about these agendas, yet John saw his ministry and himself correctly. When they finally asked him who he was and what he was doing, he replied, I'm just a voice, crying out to people, shouting, get ready for the light that is coming. He's like the sailor that's way up in the crow's nest in a long sailing journey who sees the land and he gets to be the first one to say, land ho, I see it. The journey is coming to an end. This is going to be exciting. Get ready, prepare, look for, look for how we're going to get on board to the land. I'm that person. I'm just out. I'm the one who gets to announce that God's agenda is arriving and it is for everyone and anyone. And yes, I am baptizing. That means I'm cleaning up before the guests arrive, before the guest arrives. Now, a few weeks ago, we invited all of you to our home. And a lot of you came, and I appreciate that. I'm so glad that we were able to do that. I want you to know that, um, that before you got there, we did a lot of cleaning. Okay? Just want you to know that. We're normal human beings. We did a lot of cleaning. But the goal of that cleaning was not just to clean the house. The goal was to have a a place prepared to welcome someone else in. It was to have everything ready so that we would have a welcoming environment that we could share conversations, that we could have sweets together, that we could drink a cup of coffee together, that we could talk together, and do all those things together. It wasn't just to clean the house. It was to have a welcoming environment. And John says, this is what baptism is. It is cleaning up the house and getting it ready, not just so that I can look good and behave well. It's so that I can have my heart and my life open and ready for Jesus who is coming. And that it will be ready and welcoming for His light to enter, His life to enter into my life. Wow. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. So the light finally helps us to see God's agenda clearly. Now, this takes a little bit longer in our gospel, and we don't have time to read all the way to this, but we will read the passage. We finally get there in John chapter 10, verse 10. Here is God's agenda that we see in the full light of Jesus. Are you ready? I came that they may have life and have it to the full measure. I want you to know that same word that John uses when he says that in Jesus is life. That word is zoe. It is the divine life. It is the life that only comes from God. And when John uses that for us in this passage, he uses the same thing. I came that they might have that zoe and they may have it to the full measure. Not a partial measure, but how deep? A full measure measure. You don't believe me still. I'll go on to John chapter 17. Jesus prays this in the garden before he dies. This is his prayer to his father. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is Jesus' prayer for you. That this divine life that is in Him would be in your life. You are called. Are you ready? You ready for this? I don't, I don't know. Are you ready for this? You are called to be the second incarnation. God's divine life lived out in and as your life. It's pretty radical. I thought I'd get a, at least a gasp. I mean, this is pretty, pretty important stuff, folks. You are called to have that life lived out in you and as your life. You are called to be the second incarnation. God in your flesh. God lived out in your life. The question is, are you going to try and keep feeling your way along with your agendas? Or will you receive the life that God, of God through Jesus so that you can have the light that darkness cannot overcome lived out in you. That's the question of Advent. That's the question of will we be ready for the life, for the light to come into us? Are you willing to be the second incarnation? Are you willing to receive that life into your life? Maybe today you've recognized that, oh, well, I can't. My, my house is way too dirty for something like that. Well, It's a good thing the church still believes in baptism, right? And January 7th, just a few Sundays from today, we will be having a baptismal service. So today, if you're saying, Pastor Jeff, there's something about what you're saying. I I want that to happen. But I I realize there's a lot that needs to be cleaned up here. I I want to be baptized. Then I would love for you to be baptized. And right after the service today, don't hesitate, don't wait. Right after the service today, I want you to meet me right down here. And I want us to talk about it. I would love for you to be baptized on January 7th, right here in this sanctuary. Bring friends, bring family. You're saying, I want my life to be cleaned up and ready to receive the light that lights up all the darkness. I want to have that lived out in my life. You come right after service, right down here, and we'll we'll talk about it. But for the rest of us who just need, again, that reminder that we are called to have the life that lived in Christ and is the light of the world, we are called to have that in our lives, then there is no other way for us to end this service than to have communion. To hear him say the words, this is my body, this is my blood. Remember, my body and my blood that is full of the zoe, the flesh and the spirit coming together. Take this. And take it into you. Take it into your body. And may the life that is found there somehow mysteriously remind you that you are the second incarnation. And you are called to live that life out into the world. That's what it means to be the church. That's what we're called to. And that's what I'm going to invite you to. So let's pray. Father, today we have heard that your life is available to come into our life. Now we know that is only possible because of Jesus. And so we say right off the bat, we are so thankful for Jesus. We pray that if we are wandering in the dark, maybe we've bumped our heads a few times already, that today 
By taking bread and cup, we would remind ourselves that we're going to wait on the life. We're going to receive it into our life. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us to receive with grateful hearts and to open ourselves to the life that can only come from Jesus. For we pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.